All right, all right. What is going on, everybody? Today is Tuesday, December 12th, 2022. Five days away from the big man's arrival. And by the big man, I mean Santa Claus. Uh, lots to cover today on today's episode. I swear I'm not a football podcast, but it is this time of year where it's there's just a lot of football action going on, football and football. Uh, we'll talk a little. I will talk a little World Cup today as well. Give you the rundown today. I'll give you the underdog, hungry dog of the week. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about why this was arguably the best weekend in sports ever. That's probably dramatic, but it just felt so good. I've got two sad girl hours to present to you all today. Kind of funny, kind of entertaining. Also sad, as it's supposed to be. I'll talk through... um, Playoff odds and what that picture looks like as of today. Who's got a shot to get in? Who doesn't? Make a little, make some predictions, make some picks. And then I'll, of course, I'll close out with the absolutely awful segment of fantasy studs. Lots, lots to cover. Should be semifinals potentially of your fantasy playoff league. So this this is a big week. Um, on this day in sports, December 20th, 2022, lots of hockey, hockey facts on this day in sports. In 1979, the Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Ben Wilson scores with four minutes and eight seconds remaining in regulation to earn a one-to-one tie with the Pittsburgh Penguins and equal the NHL record for longest undefeated streak of 28 games. They actually go on to break the record after that and extend it to 35 games. Go Flyers, baby. Also on this date in 1983, Guy LaFleur of the Montreal Montreal Canadiens becomes the 10th NHLer ever to score 500 goals. And also in the NHL, on this date in 1991, NHL grants uh, permanent membership to the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Ottawa Senators, and they've been in the league ever since. This is episode 6 of one of the boys, I'm Coley Rudd. I'm here with my dog, Harper. She's chewing ice right now. You might hear her. She has lots of good picks today, lots of good takes. And I'm glad you're here. All right, all right, all right. Thank you for bearing through my corny intro song or skipping over it if that's what you choose to do. 
As I always do, I'm going to kick off the week with the underdog, hungry dog of the week. But before I do that, um, I do just want to express my own mini sad girl hours. About an hour ago, I I did hear that um, Jalen Hurts has a shoulder injury and is in question to play this Saturday on Christmas Eve versus the Cowboys. Harper's crying. She's so sad about it, too. Harper is a Philadelphia fan through and through. If you don't know this, I named her after Bryce Harper. So when I feel pain over Philadelphia sports, she does as well. And the second I mentioned Jalen Hurts being hurt, she she started crying. So she feels it. She gets it. She's she's a dog, a literal dog and a dog. Um, But, yeah, that'll be something that's interesting to keep an eye on. Personally, my gut would love for him to play because I want to take out the Cowboys and win the division in Dallas. Not that we can't do that with Gardner Minshew, but Jalen Hurts has just been the man all season long. So you feel like the odds are a little bit better if he's playing. But also, like, if Minshew plays and we still pull it off, that would be even better because the narrative based on the last time the Eagles played the Cowboys, was that we only won because Dak wasn't playing and Cooper Rush was their quarterback. So if we could flip that script script and win with Minshew, that would be cool. But no one even knows really if Jalen's going to play or not, and <clears throat> I'll just keep an eye on it. Anyway, underdog, hungry dog of the week. Uh, so there was, this was actually a great week for the dog. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about NBA as we head into the new year and um, spring. More chatter about NBA will happen on this podcast, but it is football season about to head into the the heart and soul of football season. Um, But there were 20 dog wins in the NBA this week out of a total of 50 games. So the dog won 40% of the games uh, in the NBA. And I think since I've been doing this podcast, that is the highest success rate for the dog. So woof, woof, go basketball dogs. In the NHL, there was a lot of hockey played last week. uh, Seeing similar numbers. So the dog won 21 times out of 54 games. For a success success rate, excuse me, of 39% in college bowls. So, yes, if you don't follow college football, you didn't know that the bowls kicked off uh, last Friday. It was awesome. I was at work and was working, but also had on my screen the one of the games. And, again, they're not the most exciting games this time of year. Obviously, the head headliner games are going to be the, the college football playoff games and then those New Year's Six Bowls. But if you're like me, a football game is a football game, and it's it's always always a good time to watch. So um, there were eight college bowl games that were played uh, between last Friday uh, through Sunday, um, and only two of them were upsets in the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl, Troy was victorious over UTSA by a final score of 18-12, to 12, um, which is a weird score. I wonder if that was a scoregami, or at least a college football scoregami. Probably not, though, because there's so many uh, college football games that are played. But a unique score, we, you don't traditionally see 18-12. to 12. I do believe there was a safety in that game. I think that was the first points of the game was a safety, which traditionally, if a safety happens, it does lead to those weird scores. 
And then BYU was victorious over SMU, who was four and a half point favorites in the New Mexico Bowl. Uh, just played in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, so those were exciting. Lots more good ones to come this week and, of course, the week after that. Uh, in the NFL, there were 15 games played. Four of them were upsets. Success rate for the dog is 26.7%. I'll talk a little bit more about some of these later. Um, but the Detroit Lions were dogs by two points to the New York Jets and were victorious by a final score of 20-17. to 17. And that game was played in New York. The Steelers were victorious over the over the Carolina Panthers, which really a must win for the Panthers. Panthers actually still have a shot to make the playoffs, but aren't uh, aren't having much success in these moments where it counts the most. So, be interesting to see how all of that plays out. But bottom line is, Steelers were victorious over the Panthers by a final score of twenty four to sixteen. The Jaguars, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars were victorious over the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys were four-point favorites. The final score there was 40-34. to And then last night on Sunday Night Football, Commanders were four-point favorites going into the game. The Giants end up winning that one in Washington by a final score of 20-12. to And both of their playoff hopes have kind of gone in opposite directions the Giants, it's, it, they have a pretty fat chance of getting in right now, and the Commanders kind of head the opposite direction, have a tough one coming up against the Niners this week. I will talk a little bit later in the show about what each team's playoff odds are looking like at the moment, um, but the Giants were the, the dog the dog there. So woof, woof, way to go Giants. Overall, looking at all sports, uh, the dog was victorious. And by all sports, I mean the the ones that I just talked about. Obviously, there was college basketball that was played. There was a World Cup game, which, I, like I said, I'll talk about later. I guess there were the semifinal games, too, I could have included in here as well, but I didn't. Anyway, in all the sports I just mentioned, there was 127 games played. The dog was victorious and 47 out of those, giving a 37% dog success rate this week. Woof, 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 woof. So that's pretty high. Like I said, I, I didn't compare it to previous weeks, but it does feel like that's the highest that it's been since I've started this podcast. So it does get kind of exciting as I go through and look at the matchups and the, and the spreads and see all the dogs and I feel like my list was growing and growing and growing this week. So it was it was a great week, great week for the dogs. Um, however, there can only be one underdog hungry dog of the week. And this week's underdog hungry dog of the week is... The Jacksonville Jaguars. Not only were they a dog, they were losing, I believe it was 27 to 10 at one point, and come back and win this game by a final score of 40 to 34 in overtime in dramatic fashion, very dramatic fashion. The Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, had actually fumbled, turned the ball over to the Cowboys. Cowboys, at that point, all they needed was a field goal. But in classic Dak Prescott fashion, although ultimately it really wasn't his fault, um, but he throws a pick, a pick six nonetheless, and the Jags end up pulling off the upset after being four-point dogs. Um, Dak's, so like I said, that last pick wasn't Dak's fault. However, 
Dax picks, so he has, I believe it's nine interceptions over his last four games. And the worst part about them is that they're always untimely. So that was obviously a super untimely interception. And then the other one was, I believe it was about halfway through the fourth quarter um, when it looked like Jacksonville was starting to creep in a little bit, throws another one. The Jags took advantage of it and score, obviously scored more points. When I look at the highlights, when I watch the highlights of this, highlights of Dak over the last couple weeks, even, you know, last week had a couple of really bad interceptions against the Texans. To me, it kind of feels like Dak is just a younger version of Tony Romo. And I don't mean to throw shade at Tony Romo because I actually think he's a fantastic broadcaster. When him and Jim Nance call games, they're my favorite games to tune into, regardless of who's playing, because I think they just, they do really, really well. Them and uh, Herb Street and Al Michaels on Thursday Night Football are my favorite announcers to listen to. Um, But Romo, in his last few seasons, and by few seasons I mean many seasons with the Cowboys, he his stats looked good because he would have these monster games where he would just like throw for a shit ton of yards against a really bad team and they'd blow him out of the water to fluff his stats. But then he'd have games like this one Dak did yesterday that matter. Like this game matters. The Cowboys are still they're in the playoffs, so they did lock in a playoff spot yesterday, but aren't necessarily eliminated from the NFC East title. So they have to win this game. And in a game that that really mattered, if they wanted to stay relevant in that conversation, Dak throws a pick at the end of the game. Again, people are going to defend him and say that that ball was catchable or that ball should have been caught. It bounced off the defender, whatever. But bottom line is good quarterbacks make good plays in clutch situations, which that was. And not only that, so the Cowboys let the game get to that point. That's really the bigger discussion here is that, yes, in that moment he throws that interception, but there were so many moments before that where he was unsuccessful in converting a first down or he throws that pick late in the second half where if he succeeds in those moments, that game doesn't even go to overtime and there is no opportunity like that to, to for that to happen. When Trevor Lawrence fumbled that ball, I thought for sure this is done. The Cowboys are going to win. I got my hopes up a little bit for nothing. And then, uh, and then Dak and the Cowboys offense turn, turns around and does that. So great. It was a great game. Um, the, the the other thing too uh, to talk about here is the so the possession before Trevor Lawrence fumbled there was the Cowboys had a had a shot um, so so the other thing I have an issue with here as well is at the end of regulation I think there was about a minute a minute and some change left um, and. Dak and the Cowboys had the ball, and it's third and ten. And Dak drops back and throws it about 25, 30 yards down the field. I forget who his intended receiver was. Receiver doesn't catch it. Clock stops without about a minute and two seconds left. The Jags at that point only had one timeout. So one boneheaded play call 
Because at that point, in my mind, with you know the Jags only have one timeout left. So I'm either going to run the ball or do like a short little screen, a high high percentage of the of a completion, like a short little pass. You know it's gonna the the player's gonna stay in bounds to to milk the clock. Because in that situation, one of, one of two things is gonna happen. Doug Peterson's gonna burn his last time out, which ended up being crucial to have, um, or he's gonna let the clock run out, um, save his time out, let the clock run down. And force the Cowboys to punt. Instead, like I said, they have they draw up this play that has Dak throwing the ball 25, 30 yards downfield. Ended up being a really, really key moment in that play. Kellen Moore, I, I'm questioning a little bit what you're doing. Not that I mind because it ultimately ended in the Cowboys' failure. And as an Eagles fan, that's good for me. Um, but it was just a really questionable call. Again, I say this every week. I know I don't have the background to be a football coach. I don't know how to draw up plays. If someone would hire me to just manage game time decisions, I think I'd be excellent at that. And I I don't cost a lot because I have very little experience. So NFL GMs and owners, if you're listening to this, consider adding me to your payroll. I promise I'll be there every day. Yeah, and I'll make good decisions, better decisions than what Kellen Moore did, better decisions on managing the clock than Robert Salah did. He had three timeouts and just let the clock run, run, run. Eventually, Zach Wilson and the offense just did not, there just simply was not enough time, and you had a timeout in your pocket. What are you doing? Anyway, NFL executives, if you're listening, hire me. You won't regret it. Um, I do just want to circle back to Trevor Lawrence because he is starting to look like the quarterback we all knew he could be. I think a few weeks back, there was this big like, oh, let's redraft the 2021 quarterback class. And people were saying the Jags should have taken Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence. I disagree a billion percent. Trevor Lawrence is making some really, really, really outstanding plays, and and he's putting he's putting the ball in some tight windows where only his receiver can catch it. I saw it so many times yesterday. Not only that, he's not he's not he does not have the speed um, that Justin Fields has. He's not he he's not slow by any means. He's just not as fast as Justin Fields. However, he is proving to be mobile. So he's not standing in the pocket. When the pocket starts to break down, he's getting out of it. He's finding the open guy downfield, or he's using his legs to, to, earn, to earn his yards. Um, but he's not standing there and getting hit time after time. Um, Justin Fields is mobile, and he's making electric, exciting, exciting plays, but he has, he has no success throwing the ball whatsoever. The Eagles played the Bears yesterday, and every time Justin Fields threw the ball, it was like drop back to throw the ball. One, he'd either you know run. Two, he'd get sacked. I think the Eagles sacked him six times. Or three, he'd make some really stupid-looking throw that was either tipped because he's a little bit smaller, 
um, or just was not on target. Like he's he cannot throw the ball. It's almost like when I watch him play, I feel like he shouldn't be a quarterback. And I know that's the buzz right now on Twitter is that Justin Fields is running back one. That's what people are saying who are Justin Fields haters like myself. But it's not wrong. Like the dude is fast and can move really well. Throwing the ball, not a strong suit. Um, plus this like this kind of play doesn't really have longevity in the NFL anymore. I mean, you can already see this is year two. He's gotten hurt already, right? He missed one or two games, I believe. And yesterday he comes off the field, misses a drive maybe, um, and goes into the locker room for what? I think they said it was cramping and he just needed an IV, whatever. But if you're relying that heavily on your run game, on your legs, on your explosive plays, that you're cramping to the point where you need to go to the locker room, that does not have longevity in the NFL. That's not going to work forever. You have to have some other type of skill set, which is why I, these quarterbacks like Jalen Hurts, like Patrick Mahomes, like now we're talking about Trevor Lawrence, they will stay in the league for a long time because one, they have they've proven capability to throw the ball. Two, they're mobile when they need to be. They're not mobile on every play. Um, and then three, they're learning to avoid hits when necessary. So they're sliding. They're getting out of bounds. They're avoiding those kinds of plays. And they also understand like, hey, maybe instead of running here and injuring myself, I should throw the ball away. That's okay. A quarterback's best uh, ability is his availability, right? So... It's really hard for some of these teams to win without their best guy. Justin Fields has to get it. Honestly, Bears fans are going to be mad at me for saying this, but if I'm that coaching staff, I, I would consider benching him for the rest of the year. You guys are done. You're toast. You're not, you're not in playoff contention. There's no shot whatsoever anymore. Why put this guy's health at more of a risk? Let some of your younger guys out there – I know Nathan Peterman's their backup, which isn't exciting, and nobody wants to see Nathan Peterman football. It just doesn't seem worth it to me right now to, to risk Fields' health. Um, but, like, I also don't think Fields is is it. Like, I, I just – I don't know. I'm, I've always been a Justin Fields hater, though, and I've made that very clear. But bottom line – Trevor is the better quarterback. He's really starting to come uh, step into those shoes that we all knew he would, and I, I've, I've enjoyed watching it. Um, so congratulations to our Jaguars. Uh, Doug Peterson officially owns the Dallas Cowboys. You just love to see it. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Zay Jones, you, they, all, they all looked great. That, and that Jacksonville defense has actually looked phenomenal as well in the last couple weeks. So uh, great stuff, great stuff. Um, moving along, I'm going to talk about how this weekend was the best weekend in sports. And here's why. Uh, I'm not going to go into depth about the college bowl games, but there were some college bowl games that were played, I honestly did not pay any attention to them just because there was too many other things going on. Um, there were some Saturday football games. So the Saturday 1 o'clock p.m. game was the Colts versus the, the Vikings. Um, I, this was just absolutely insane. This was the largest comeback in NFL history. This tops 
the uh, so this tops the 35 to three deficit the Bills overcame in 1993 over the Houston Oilers to win 31 to 38. That was the largest deficit ever overcome in the NFL until yesterday. The Colts were winning 33 to nothing. Okay, 33 to nothing. The Vikings looked absolutely horrible. Kirk Cousins had a pick six. I believe there was a blocked punt. The fans were booing. It was like every ball that was dropped or, you know, incomplete, booing. Um, Every rush that went less than five yards, booing. Every time the Colts offense got a first down, booing. Turnovers, it was like an earthquake of boos. I respect that. Vikings fans, I respect you guys. I do not like your team, but I respect, like, hey, letting them know what's up. If your team isn't playing well, they should know, okay? If you're paying to see your team play and they're melting down like the Vikings were, you have every nut right to boo them. Some people will disagree with me. You back your guys no matter what. Booing doesn't mean you're not backing your team. It just means... Hey, I know what you're capable of, and I haven't seen it today, and you are playing well below expectations, so I'm going to let you know how bad you are. Booing isn't a bad thing. Vikings fans, I respect you. You should boo. You did boo, and I think it got through to them because they ended up overcoming that 33 to nothing deficit. Probably had a bad taste in their mouth, knew they were playing like absolute shit, I don't know what was said in the locker room, but whatever it was gave that team a spark. Um, they came out, obviously overcame that huge, huge deficit. 33 to nothing it was at one point. Um, a lot of it had to do with the Vikings and their offense. Kirk Cousins was insane, ended the game with like 400-something yards and I don't know, three or four touchdowns. And the other side, on the flip side, was that – Colts offense is just really, really bad. So it's it's important to note that there were three touchdowns that were scored by the Colts in this game, right? The score seems so lopsided, right? When it's 33-0, you think maybe this offense is on fire. But those three touchdowns by the Colts, one was on defense, that pick six that I told you all about. One was on special teams, the blocked uh, punt, I believe it was, returned for a touchdown. I could be wrong on that but I'm pretty sure that's what that was. Only one touchdown was actually scored by the offense. Um, But the offense ended up having the ball in the red zone, you know, on on the Minnesota side of the field several times, but could never quite punch it in other than that one time. Chase McLaughlin, the Colts kicker, ended up kicking five field goals. Okay, so that was 15 points. If the Colts offense was good, which they're not, but if they were good and were actually able to get it into the end zone all of those times, uh, the score would have been 63 to nothing potentially. But failing to get, out, to get in the end zone ended up being deadly. The, the Colts' defense just absolutely melted down. The Colts' offense was never really there, but they collapsed as well. And Matt Ryan might be the most immobile quarterback the NFL has ever seen. He just looks stuck when he runs. He looks so slow. I mean, so 
so slow. I bet you Jason Kelsey can run a significantly faster 40 right now than Matt Ryan. I bet you a lot of big men in the NFL can run a faster 40 than Matt Ryan. He looks so slow. So then it kind of sparked my interest a little bit in like his like so on so decline, which those days with the Falcons when he went to the Super Bowl when they were making playoff pushes, the the teams were really good. So I was like, all right, like how bad has he actually become since that 28 to 3 collapse in the Super Bowl? And world you might think I'm wild but Matt Ryan truly hasn't been the problem he's actually played rather consistently uh, throughout his career as far as his stats go so here's here's what we're looking at okay from 2008 to 2016 right 2016 season was that infamous 28 to 3 loss in the Super Bowl over that time span Matt Ryan was averaging 64.9 percent completion percentage 4,189 yards per season, 265 and a half yards per game, 26.7 touchdowns per season, 12.7 interceptions per season, and a QBR of 93.6. Okay? His record in that time span was 85 and 57. That's, that's pretty damn good. After that 28-3 Super Bowl meltdown till today, He is averaging a 66.3% completion percentage. He's averaging 4,181 yards per season, 272.7 yards per game, which is, that's that's actually insane. 23.5 touchdowns, which is a few less. It is about three touchdowns less than what he was doing per per season, this is. 11.5 interceptions, which is down as well. That's a good stat to be down in, though. Obviously, the less interceptions, the better. And QBR is pretty much dead on the same. It was 93.6 for those first few years, 93.7 from 2017 on. My point being is that uh, Matt Ryan does not seem to be the problem, um, more so the personnel around him. So he's in this situation where he doesn't have a great line, and he is unable really to, to do anything, to have any success moving the ball. And the skill position players around him are actually pretty good. I think this is just proof that the O-line, to me, is, is I know you need to have a good quarterback to be successful. you got to have your playmaker. But the offensive line is the most pos- uh, important position group in football. It's even more important when you know you have a guy like Matt Ryan back there because he's not going to move. And that's not something that we woke up today and we're like, oh, Matt Ryan is not a mobile quarterback. That has been known. So the fact that nothing has been done to upgrade this offensive line, that there hasn't been more usage of the tight end for blocking. And maybe there has, and I'm just being naive and don't know. But it just seems like every single team, their game plan against the Colts offense is just to blitz, to get pressure to Matt Ryan, and it works every single time. And you would have to believe that if Matt Ryan was working behind an offense offensive line like that of the Eagles – that he would be having probably probably a little bit more success than what he's doing right now. Um, so ultimately, 
he, look, he hasn't been playing great. Okay, this year he has not been playing great. It's not, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that and figure it out. But it's really like people on the internet right now are blowing up. You know, Matt Ryan gave up a 28 to 3 lead, then lost 33, or then blew a 33 to nothing lead, two biggest chokes of all time, whatever. The quarterback's always going to be the face of your franchise, but it's really not fair to say that this is Matt Ryan. There are so many other people on that organization, in that organization that that are to blame for this. I don't know how Jeff Saturday can actually say he wants to continue to coach the Colts and should be the one to continue to coach the Colts after this. This is like ultimate, ultimate meltdown. I have never, ever seen anything like it in professional sports in my life, if I'm going to be completely honest. Obviously, there's always come from behind wins in all the leagues. I talk about the dog of the week every week. But this was just a mega, mega collapse. And quite frankly, good leaders don't allow this to happen to their team. So Jeff Saturday, this was a good run. This was probably your first and last Saturday as an NFL head coach. I shouldn't say forever because maybe somewhere down the road, if you get more experience under your belt, somewhere will want to hire you and and whatever. And as they should, as you know, if, if they feel you're a fit. Um, but Saturday on Saturday, didn't work out quite so well. Um, but that kicked off the most outstanding weekend of sports. Um, shortly after that, there was the Ravens Browns game. That was incredibly boring. I'm not going to bore everybody and talk about it. Um, the only major thing to take from that is that the Ravens without Lamar Jackson are dog poop. Um, not even like solid dog poop, like the mushy dog poop after your dog eats something that they're not supposed to. They desperately need Lamar Jackson back if they're going to make a run. I don't think they're going to make a run, but if they are, I mean, they'll get into the playoffs, but they're not going to be a team that we're talking about come the end of January. Um, and then that nightcap for the Saturday game, that was the, uh, Dolphins, um, traveled to Buffalo in the cold to play the Bills. Uh, I want to start this recap off by saying I am so pissed off at mainstream media for making it sound like this game was going to be in a blizzard. When I turned the game on and saw it was like clear sky, I mean, I couldn't see the sky, but it was clear there's no snow, not a single snowflake falling. I was like, what 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 the fuck is going on here? Did they close the non-existent roof over Buffalo Stadium because there's no snow? Like the media made it sound like there was going to be like 3 feet of snow falling from the sky at all times and there just wasn't. I mean, I know the snow came down at the end, but that was what like a light dusting. That wasn't exciting. Um I'd also like to point out that there was that comment that Tua made about it also snows in Alabama. That's a stupid comment, Tua. That is a really stupid comment. Alabama snow is not anywhere near comparable to the Buffalo snow. Alabama snow was probably like a light dusting that melted in 12 hours, and you weren't playing football in that. Buffalo snow is like intense snow, like doesn't, doesn't stop until there's like a foot or so on the ground. Plus, 
I've lived not in Buffalo, but I've lived in the Northeast in Philadelphia. And now I live South. And let me tell you, like the cold, the bitterness of the cold in the Northeast is like, it's painful. And the cold in the South is not, it doesn't hurt quite as bad. So playing in Alabama and a light little dusting is not comparable to playing to Buffalo in December in the freezing cold. It's just not the same. Good try, Tua. Third thing I'd like to talk about regarding this game is the snowballs. First of all, it's funny. It's so funny that fans were throwing snowballs on the field. The refs were saying, you're going to be fine. Your team's going to be fine 15 yards if you continue to do this, yada, yada, whatever. It was funny. I love it. Buffalo fans, I respect you. However... I do just want to point out my Philly heart and soul wants to point out that if Eagles fans did this, we would be ripped to shreds. Okay. We would be labeled as assholes. We would be labeled as poor sports, poor sports town. Philly fans are the worst. You name it. I could write a book about all the insults that the internet loves to throw at Philadelphia. Okay. Not just the internet, mainstream media, you like to label us as these assholes for whatever reason. Maybe sometimes we are, okay? But then this glorified fan base that you all talk about, it's the Buffalo Bills, and I do think they're great people. They do a lot of really good things. Bills Mafia, they like to raise money for different charities. I think it's absolutely outstanding. I think it's beautiful. However... You guys, you guys threw snowballs at the opposing team, and if Philadelphia would have done the same thing, would have been ripped to shreds. But for whatever reason, Buffalo gets a pass. I don't know why. It is what it is. Like I said, regardless, I love it. Like, yes, throw snowballs at them. Let's have fun. We thought there would be more snow on the field. There's not, but there's snow in the stands. Let's do it. Let's have fun. Plus, when the uh, Bills would score a touchdown, it was like a parade of snowballs down onto the field, which was absolutely awesome. Um, so Buffalo fans, W, um, media and your biases, L, whatever. Uh, Cole Beasley came back in this game. Like, welcome back, Cole Beasley. I don't know why they signed him. I kind of feel like it went something like this. Cole picked up the phone, decided he wanted to make a run at a, at a title, a Super Bowl title, because Buffalo Bills have a pretty good shot, it looks like, at, at, at that happening. Um, he was essentially a non-factor. He had one reception for nine yards. The crowd went wild when he caught the ball, rightfully so. I think the, t- the city of Buffalo really liked him a lot. Um, but it was a b- bizarre signing to me. I'm not mad about it. I have nothing against Cole Beasley. He played a couple years in Dallas, but he was way more relevant in Buffalo. Um, And they seem to like him there. So whatever. I I just didn't understand the move at all. Um, Also from this game, Josh Allen, he's just so much, so much fun to watch play football. I mean, I, I respect that he doesn't slide. Like, he wants to play tough football, right? Like, he loves he loves to play tough, tough football, doesn't, isn't afraid of getting hit. But I, when he doesn't slide, I actually worry for the sport of football because he makes watching football so much fun that if 
that if he gets hurt and can't play, I feel like I would feel sad because I wouldn't be able to watch him and the world wouldn't be able to watch him. And uh, who is, I don't even know who their backup is at this point. Oh, Case Keenum. He would not be nearly as fun to watch as Josh Allen. Not for a second. So Josh Allen, if you're out there, if you're listening, if you're one of the boys, slide, please, for the sake of the sport, for the sake of humanity, slide. Um, and then on the flip side, when Tua runs, he looks like like Chicken Little. He had that one play where I think he like, I think there was a defender nearby, so it looked like the defender tripped him, but I actually think he just stumbled over his own feet like a Daniel Jones kind of play. Um, however, when he throws the ball, though, he had some some beautiful throws in this game. I feel like I say this every week about him. Um, that third quarter touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill was like you heard the gods singing when it fell into his hands. Like it was heavenly. It was beautiful. It was it was absolutely awesome. So Tua, I know sometimes you got to be mobile when the pocket collapses, when they're getting pressure up on you, you got to scramble out, whatever. Throw the ball when possible. Scramble if you have to. But no more of these chicken little runs, please, for the sake of all of us. Um, last thing I want to point out about this game um, is that at the end, so it did start to snow, I guess, at some point in the fourth quarter. And the way this ended was Tyler Bass came out and kicked a game-winning field goal with three seconds left or whatever. And Mark Sanchez was actually calling this game. He was the um, – color analyst um, alongside. I don't remember who was doing the play-by-play. But at the end of the game, after Tyler Bass hit the field goal, the Bills are sl- – It's there's a light dusting on the, on the field, and they're sliding in the snow, whatever. And Mark Sanchez says this, sliding on the field, sliding into the playoffs, sliding into DMs, man. It's awesome. I'm like – uh okay that was that felt like a very awkward comment to make are these does he know that these guys are sliding into dms some of them are married some of them have openly posted on social media that they have spouses so like hey if you're sliding in dms uh buffalo and miami good for you i just felt like that was really awkward um and mark sanchez maybe he was he was um reflecting what he's doing so if you're sliding into dms man good for you um, football, football career. Hopefully you have more success in your DM game than you did in your football career. Um, I'll talk a little bit later about what this does for the Dolphins playoffs, uh, hopes and, you know, where this positions the bills, um, more crazy games. Already talks about the Jaguars versus the Cowboys. The Chiefs and the Texans was uh, weirdly close. I don't think anyone was expecting that. I think the Texans are enjoying like toying with everybody a little bit, where they're like, "Oh, let's just go out there and have fun." They're doing this like quarterback carousel, which isn't traditional for NFL teams, but it oddly seems to be working for the Texans. I think their organization is just so fucked up that it's like, okay, like we're going to try something that's completely off the charts and and it's been working. They should have beat the Cowboys last week. They actually should have beat the chiefs yesterday. They're making these games look fun. I don't know if they're having fun. It looks like they're having fun, 
But then it looks like it also looks like they're making mistakes and tanking at the end of the game just to keep that first overall pick. I doubt that's actually what they're doing. I'm not you know, claiming that or accusing that, but it is like, oh, let's make this game as fun as we can and then just take the L because we still want that first overall pick. Like I said, I doubt that's what they're doing, but like it fits the narrative a little bit. Um, Chiefs, bottom line, Chiefs end up winning that 30 to 24 in overtime. Jarek McKinnon uh, is a beast. Um, Patriots 24, Raiders 30. This was the craziest finish to a game I think we have ever seen, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I watched the last play of the game. Like, not just, like, watched it, like, paused it, rewinded it, looked at every aspect of what's going on on the field as this is happening. Absolute meltdown of a play, if I've ever seen one. For anyone who didn't watch this game or does not know, is not aware of this outcome, what had happened was the the score was tied 24-24, I believe. And, yeah, it was 24-24. Mac Jones and the Patriots had the ball, three seconds left, not in field goal range, whatever. Um, so the play call was a, a, a draw, just a draw play. So Mac Jones stepped, if you don't know what a draw play is, Mac, Mac Jones steps back for a second, holds the ball, holds the ball, and then hands it off to his running back, Ramondre Stevenson. Um, so Ramon J. Stevenson, he actually, it was actually a decent run. He did end up running it into what would be field goal position. Um, but there wasn't enough time left on the clock. So if he got tackled or went out of bounds, whatever, the the clock would have been at zero and there would have been no time to kick a, a field goal. Instead, he got into his head. So instead of going down or going out of bounds, he got into his head that he should lateral it. So he laterals the ball backwards to Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers takes the ball, throws it backwards and across the field towards where Mac Jones, the quarterback, was standing. I don't know if he was trying to throw it to him or what. It ends up getting, it looks like an interception, but because the ball is thrown backwards, it's actually technically a fumble recovery. Chandler Jones of the Raiders defense catches it, Runs it back for a touchdown. As time expires, that's it. Game over. Okay? I have so many issues with this play. So many issues. My first issue is that why aren't you Bill Belichick? Now, most of this, I don't want to say most of this wasn't his fault, but it's always if you're the head coach, it's always going to be your fault. Uh, anyway, bottom line. I don't know why he doesn't just say, let's take a knee. It's a tie game with three seconds. Play for overtime, okay? That should have been the call. What are you trying to do? You risk a fumble, which is basically what happened, et cetera, by running a play in a chance where you don't really have to do that. My second issue is if you watch the play, Ramondre Stevenson, he potentially, odds are slim, but he potentially only has one man to beat to have a chance to get into the end zone. So the run that he breaks off before he laterals it is actually a, a, a good, a really good looking run. He breaks off a ton of yards. I don't remember who was calling this game, but the announcer at one point was like, uh, is somebody going to tackle him? 
So it looks like he has a shot to break to get into the end zone. Um, it looks like Nate Hobbs has a chance to kind of get an angle on him if Deron Harmon misses him because there was kind those were kind of the two guys that were closest to him. But if I'm Ramondre Stevenson, he's he's an NFL running back. He's obviously fast as shit. Like, just try and run. Just try and run. See what happens. Make a move. Maybe you get lucky and break into the end zone. But that's not what he does. Instead, he turns around and pitches the ball backwards to Jacoby Myers. And then Jacoby Myers gets the ball and decides, that's when he decides he's going to throw it backwards towards, I don't even want to say to Mac Jones because it wasn't even close to Mac Jones, but Mac Jones was the closest Patriot nearby. So I guess that was his intended target. I don't know. My fourth issue with this play um, was, so he's, so, okay, so say he's successful in throwing the ball to Mac Jones and Mac Jones gets the ball. Uh, the play had already gone past the line of scrimmage, right? And now it was retreating backwards. So Mac Jones can't advance the ball forward anymore except by running. So it's not like Mac Jones can catch this backwards pass and throw it forward because the play had already advanced past the line of scrimmage. So you're telling me in that moment, Jacoby Myers thinks Mac Jones is going to catch this ball and run 60 yards, right? Because you're not going to catch this ball in advance 10. That's not the idea here because you have to score a touchdown or it's going to, or it's going to overtime, which it should have just gone by the simple fact of taking a knee. I, I have no idea what they were thinking. The fifth issue I have, this is probably by far my greatest issue. Oh, look, they're playing it on ESPN right now. It's literally on my TV. Oh, there's the backwards lateral. There goes Jacoby running 10 yards back, then throws it. I mean, Mac Jones is literally seven yards off the ball. Not even close. Anyway, my fifth issue with this is that Ramondre Stevenson, Jacoby Myers, I know you're probably not listening, but if you are, you are getting paid millions, millions, millions of dollars to play professional football. And you look like you're a peewee team out there who's like, oh, I'm just going to press the Y button on Madden a bunch of times, pitch it backwards, throw it. I don't even know how to do that on Madden. That's how outlandish this is is to run a play like this in like Madden controls. I don't even know if they let you do that because it's so ass backwards. Like peewee football, like nothing I've ever seen in my life. Um, You guys are just stupid. Like th this was just so stupid. So stupid. And like, I don't like to discredit the... Uh, the pressure that an NFL player is under, but this was like, this was, this was bad. This was so bad. I, I, I try to equate it to like something in like a regular, you know, nine to five kind of office setting. So like we can fully understand how stupid this is. This would be like at work if all the men came into the females' offices and were like, oh, let's go to the strip club after work. Work event at the strip club. Like, you would be like, no, that's really fucking weird and unethical and a fireable offense. All right, maybe this play that they ran wasn't that bad. But bottom line is it's like doing something that stupid at work 
that's basically what they did was they did something that stupid on the football field. Um, and not only did they make a really stupid play, this game to the Patriots was, was as important as a playoff game. Like they're out of the picture now they're on the cusp, right? Like if the season ended today, they're not in a spot. They are on the cusp. They're not out of it by any means, but like this knocked them out. Like this knocked them into first or second spot out. I have it written. Let's see. Yeah. First spot out. So they are on the outside looking in now. So yesterday should have been like a playoff game to them. Now every game moving forward truly is like a playoff game to them. Um, and to close out their season, listen to this. This was the easiest of their, of their home stretch. They now have to play the Bengals next week. Then they have the dolphins and the bills left to play. So I'm just going to tip the cap off. It was a great season. Patriots. Um, maybe you'll prove me wrong in a couple weeks. Um, old takes exposed. You can at me if that's the case. This is one of the boys podcast on Twitter. I'm O O T B pod. I think so old takes exposed. If you're listening, feel free to quote me if the Patriots get in, but I I'm just stupid. I'm very confident that they're not anyway. That was the cap. That was to cap off the wildest weekend in sports. Best weekend in sports. I think it was all six of the uh, one o'clock window games were within one score going in, in the, at some point in the fourth quarter. Made for great football. I would have liked for the Eagles to pull a little bit further ahead of the of the Bears. I didn't talk too much about that game. There wasn't there wasn't much there other than fuck Justin Fields and Hassan Reddick is uh, superhuman. Um, but that was yeah that was the craziest weekend in sports. Um, which kind of set up the the playoff picture uh, heading into what we, this is week. Oh my god, this is week sixteen we're going into already. This is crazy. Um, so the playoff picture now. So if you're looking at the AFC, the Bills are eleven and three. They are the one seed. The season. Excuse me, I just burped. That's gross. If the season ended today, they would have a first round bye. They do have the same record of, as the Chiefs. However, they have won that head-to-head matchup, giving them that one leg up. Uh, the Bills still do have to play the Bears, which you would assume would be a win. The Bengals, that is actually going to have huge implications probably on that first that first seed. And the first seed is way more important in the last year, now this year, than it ever has been before, as the first seed is the only one now that gets that first round by. Uh, prior to, I think it was last year, there were two teams that would get that first round by. Now it, it is just one, so you do have to lock in that one seed to get that first round by. Um, the Chiefs are 11 and three and have the second seed. The season ended today. They would play them. They would play the Miami Dolphins, who are eight and six in the first round. Um, the Chiefs' remaining schedule they, they should win out, if I'm being honest. Um, unless there's again some weird situation where they can't gain anything more and they decide to start their um, backups. But they're looking at the Seahawks, um, which well unfortunately probably have pretty detrimental effects on the Seahawks playoff chances, but the Seahawks, the Broncos and the Raiders, the Bengals, they are 10 and four at this point that after this weekend, they have jumped the Ravens for that number one um, spot in the AFC North. 
Um, they would play the Chargers if the season ended today. The Chargers are eight and six. Uh, the Bengals, though, kind of have a tough schedule to close out the season. So this will be something everybody in the football world should keep an eye on. Uh, they play the Patriots. Uh, they're at the Patriots next week, which both teams are going to, I would imagine, come out cutthroat and look to to take care of that. I think Patriots really don't stand a chance just because the Bengals' offense is just is is very good. Joe Burrow has appeared to be their their ruthless leader, and the Patriots' offense on the flip side is is just bad. It's just not it's not an even evenly matched game really at all. Um, then the Bengals have to play the Bills, which I just talked about, and then the Ravens. Um, so that game versus the Ravens, depending on how the next few weeks go, could potentially be for the division title. So lots and there is very much still lots up in the air right now. Um, the Titans are seven and seven and have the fourth seed. They would actually play the Ravens in the first round if the season ended today, who have a better record than them, which is nine and five. But if the Titans, um, secure the South and the Ravens get the wild card, that's just how those cards fall. Um, It is going to be interesting to see what happens in the AFC South because the Jaguars are only a game back after this weekend. Oh, Harper wants to give her opinion. What is it, Harp? Uh, She sees a cat or something out there. Um, But she's rooting for the Jaguars is is what I'm gathering. Um, the let's see yeah so the jags they're they're in the hunt they kind of have a shot at the wild card their best shot though right now is for the nfc south title they are only one game back from the titans so as of today they have a 32 percent chance to get in um but that game against tennessee is is gonna hold a ton of weight on whether or not they get in or not um you i kind of feel like that um, is is going to be what it comes down to is is who gets that that AFC South spot and unfortunately I think whoever the loser is in that so whoever is second place in that division Harper no oh she's so mad I'm not letting her outside she just picked up my shoe I think she sees a uh, a cat or a squirrel and she wants to go out there and now she's tilting her head because she knows I'm talking about cats and squirrels you see a squirrel harp. Oh, yep, she's tilting her head. She knows the word squirrel. She's the fucking smartest dog ever. But she's not going outside, not while I'm recording my show. Sorry. Um, But anyway, so whoever comes in second place in that division probably won't won't make the playoffs. Jag's schedule is by no means easy. They have the Jets on Thursday night this week, which uh, that's going to be a huge one for them because the week after that they, they have the Texans. I'd like to believe that they will beat the Texans, although the Texans have made things very interesting over the last few weeks, but um, I don't I don't think the Jaguars in a situation where they know they have the playoffs on the line lose that one. So this Thursday night game for really both teams just has huge implications. Probably the most important Thursday night matchup of the season thus far. Um, so it's actually kind of cool to be looking forward to Thursday night football. Um... And then the wild card seeds right now, uh, Ravens have a 97% chance to make the playoffs today. Unless something really, really weird happens, um, they'll be, they could be in as division winners. There still is a chance that they take over that top spot again against the Bengals because the Bengals do have a tough schedule, like I said, coming down the stretch. The Ravens' remaining games are versus the Falcons, 
Steelers and Bengals. That last game versus the Bengals could be potentially, like I said, to win the the AFC North. Um, I'd like to believe that they'll beat the Falcons and they'll beat the Steelers, but without Lamar Jackson, that team is just a different beast. It's not the same whatsoever. Um, I don't think there's really a clear-cut date as to when Lamar comes back. There's really not a ton of offensive threats other than J.K. Dobbins, sort of, and Mark Andrews. That's going to be tough. Uh, it's very unpredictable. I, I have no idea which way to go with the Ravens. Um, they'll get in. I definitely think they'll get in in a first-round exit. Uh, well, maybe not. I don't know. Again, old takes exposed. Whatever. Um, and then the Chargers right now are in that second wild card spot. They have an 80% chance to make the playoffs. A win next week would, would bump that up to 98% chance. They play the Colts next week, coming off a mega meltdown. I think the Colts are just down in the dumps. I think Chargers win that easily. They play the Rams and then the Broncos. So arguably the um, the weakest strength of schedule to close out the season um, would be the, the, the Chargers. So I'm feeling pretty confident the Chargers are going to lock up that second, maybe even that first wild card spot, depending on what happens with the Ravens and the Bengals. Um, and then in that last spot right now is the Dolphins. They are only at a 64% chance to make the playoffs as of today. With a win next week, that goes up to 80%. Um, their schedule's uh, sort of tough coming down the stretch uh, versus the Packers next week. I think that's a win, but any given Sunday, anything crazy can happen. Um, they're at the Patriots and they're versus the Jets. Um, so all three of these teams right now are really in the mix fighting for a playoff spot. Um, so I imagine that these divisional games that are going to close out the season are going to be are going to be highly competitive. Going to be a lot on the line for everybody playing in them. Um, and then just some other AFC teams to look out for. So, like I said, the Patriots and the Jets—they both right now have twenty-seven percent chance. They both need to win out really to make the playoffs, but they're both not going to win out. Um, they play each other once. Um, the, the Patriots, like I said, have that tough schedule and then the Jets also kind of have a tough schedule. They've got the Jaguars, the Seahawks and the Dolphins. It's not necessarily who I want to see on my schedule coming down the stretch for, for a playoff run. Um, yeah, so that wraps up the AFC, the NFC, uh, the Eagles right now are the number one seed. They are 13 and one. Um, and would have like that first round by if the season were to end today, they do have that head to head win versus the Vikings, which is huge. The Eagles actually really only need one more win to clinch both the division and the number one seed. Um, so even if Jalen hurts thinks he may play this weekend, people are saying it's probably best that he doesn't and that he's, um, healthy for the Saints game on New Year's Day, which low-key I would not be mad about because me and my dad are going to the game. So I, I first off, nobody twist my words. I want the Eagles to beat the Cowboys more than anything this weekend, and it would be even better if they did it with Gardner Minshew, whatever. Um, but it would also be really cool if me and my dad had the experience where they clinched the number one seed, the NFC East, and we were there. But I won't... I actually really would prefer it just to be done this weekend and we don't even have to worry about it. We can just party down in South Philly on New Year's Day, celebrate the New Year, celebrate the Eagles, freeze our asses off, get pissed drunk, tailgate, etc. But 
that is the situation for the Eagles. They just need one more. Um, the Vikings are 11 and three. They would host the commanders as it is right now. Um, the Vikings do play the giants and the Packers and the bears. Again, one of those situations where if they start everybody, they'll win out. But if they're in a situation where they can't really achieve anything further than what they already have, there's a chance they'll play their backups, maybe a 50, 50 split. The Niners would host the Giants. Um, the Niners have the Commanders, the Raiders, and the Cardinals. Again, probably will win out. Um, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. If the Vikings lose just one of these, which they could, the Giants could give them a run for their money. Um, I'm not sure how that Niners-Vikings second seed would would play out. I don't know if those teams have played head-to-head. I'm not sure, but that is something I will get information on and share with you all next week. Or if you just want to Google it yourselves right now, the internet is is your resource. Go for it. Um, and again, just like the AFC South, the NFC South is is crazy right now. So the Bucks have that number one spot at a whopping record of 6-8. and eight. Oh, here's Harper's take. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Harp. Um, the Bucks' remaining schedule is at the Cardinals versus the Panthers, and then at the Falcons. Really, all of these NFC uh, South teams have a shot. Um, it's still up for grabs. All these teams are really bad. Really, really bad. Uh, it does look like the Panthers and the Bucks have the best shot. Um, if the Panthers went out, I do believe they're in. The Panthers can also lose to the Lions and still have a 68% shot. It, that, that is just, it is crazy to me. Um, I, I'm actually rooting for the Panthers a little bit because you'd have to think that if Tom Brady does get in, that he could become very dangerous. And I don't, as an Eagles fan, I don't feel afraid of him. Like, I do actually think the. Eagles are a way better team than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but like I would just be sick to my stomach if somehow Tom Brady plays the worst football of his entire career and still somehow manages a way to like make it to the to a deep playoff run. I'm not even going to say the magical SB word because I just don't I'm not I don't want it to happen. Um, but that would make me sick to my stomach if Tom Brady was capable of pulling that off and um, NFL rigged and it's just, it just wouldn't be fair. So it's just not going to happen. Let's go Panthers. Um, there are, I was trying to plug numbers and figure out what needs to happen for who to win, but there are literally at this point, there's four teams that are still in contention. There are so many different scenarios to watch out for. So like, I'm just going to sit this, sit this tight and ride it out. Um, I also think it's weird that some of these teams have, have given up already. And by some of them, I really just mean the Falcons, like the Falcons by all means are still very much in this, especially if they win their last three games. Um, but they benched Mar- Mariota. Mariota went and got knee surgery and Desmond Ritter's their guy. Now that to me is like, all right, we, we're just going to throw in the towel when like mathematically you still have a very significant chance to get in. I think that's weak. I actually really, absolutely despise everything about this Atlanta Falcons team from top to bottom, uh, except Marcus Mariota. He was like the, the goat on my fantasy team this year. I'm just like, I would never actually put Marcus Mariota in the category of goats, but like he, he, he pulled it off for me. So I've got a special spot for him. Although I did get eliminated this week, but whatever he, he held it. He held his ground. 
I think it's so, so, so weak that the Falcons did this. I guess they're rebuilding for the future, which I understand. You want to see how the young guy can play, but you still have a shot. You still have a shot. So whatever. It is what it is. Um, But back to playoffs. Uh, So NFC South, we'll see how that all pans out. That team, as it stands right now, would host the Cowboys. Um. The only reason I would want Tom Brady to make it is because I would he has never lost to the Cowboys. So if they hosted the Cowboys in a playoff game, I am confident that Tom Brady would win, which would just make my heart very happy. Um, okay, wild card teams for the NFC. Cowboys are a lock. They're in no matter what. It's just a matter of if, if they're in as the champions of the East or just wild card position. Um, probably just going to be a wild card position. The, like I said, the Eagles only need one more win. I don't want to get ahead of myself because anything can happen in the NFL. Um, but um, I do it, – it is looking pretty likely that the Eagles are going to lock in that NFC East title and that one seed. Um, the Giants, after last night, that was a huge boost. Gives them that 84% chance to make the playoffs as of today. That's pretty good odds. Um even if they, they have three games left, even if they only win one out of three, they'll have a 96% chance to get in. They do have somewhat of a challenging schedule, though. So if you guys are on the cusp, don't count yourselves out just yet. They do have to play the Vikings at the Vikings next week, who are coming off that red-hot uh, 33-0 largest comeback in NFL history win. Um, they Then the Giants have to play the Colts, which any given Sunday, you really can't count out the Colts. Colts have given some teams a run for their money, given the Eagles, gave the Vikings a run for their money. They beat the Chiefs, so Colts could Colts could show up, and then the Giants close out their season at the Eagles. Um, so that's by no means an easy schedule. So if Commanders, Lions, if you guys are feeling out of it, you're, you're absolutely not. Um, and then the Commanders are also in that playoff spot after the loss last night. Their chances did drop dramatically. They do have only a 43% chance to make the playoffs. Um, and it looks like they're really going to be competing with the Lions for that last spot. Although the, the the Giants, though, after just looking at what their last three games are, that I don't know. Those three teams are going to cycle through those last two spots. It's, it's going to be two out of three of them. I think the Seahawks are done, and I'll explain why in a second. Um... But they are going to be competing with the Lions. The Commanders have to play the 49ers this week at San Francisco, which is mega yikes. Uh, And the Niners still have a lot to play for. I mean, they just need one slip up by the Vikings, and and they're victorious, and they could find themselves in that second seed. Um, And then the Commanders do have the Browns and the Cowboys. So that that is by no means easy at all. Um... And then those teams that, that we're calling sniffing around, according to Monday Night Football ESPN. The Seahawks are sniffing around. They have a 27% chance to make it with the Chiefs on the schedule for next week. That is a mega oof. That, that doesn't feel good if you're a Seahawks fan. Chiefs are still fighting, too. It's not like Chiefs are throwing in the towel. They want that one seed if they can get it. Um, And with the Bengals still on the bill schedule, they can. So you have to imagine the Chiefs are going to be playing the Seahawks pretty tough. Then after the Chiefs, the Seahawks have the Jets and the Rams. Um, So mathematically, the Seahawks are not eliminated. 
I don't think they'll beat the Chiefs or the Jets. The Seahawks offense has not looked good as of late, and that's and that Jets defense has clearly um, proven to shut down some of some of these powerhouse offenses. So I can only imagine what's going to happen against the Seahawks. Um, and then also sniffing around that wild that last wild card spot is the Lions. This is my favorite favorite team to get in. I think they sneak in. I think the uh, I think the um, wild card teams are going to be the Cowboys. Obviously, they're that lock. Well, again, unless the Eagles collapse historically, um, it'll be the Cowboys, the Giants, and then the Lions. I do think the Lions are gonna in are gonna get in. The numbers say right now that they only have a thirty five percent chance to make the playoffs, but they have compared to the other teams um, that I just spoke about. So the Seahawks, the Giants, and the Commanders, they without a doubt have the easiest schedule to close out these last three weeks. If they win these next three, that gives them a 96% chance to get in. They play at the Panthers. Now the Panthers also have a lot on the line, but I think the Lions top to bottom are just way better than the Panthers. Then they play at home versus the Bears. Um, so a divisional game, but the Bears are just not good. Giants or the Lions already got them once in Chicago. I think the Bears come to Detroit. At this point, they're throwing in the towel. They might bench Justin Fields, just my gut feeling. Um, and the Lions win that easily. And then last but not least, at the Packers, this could be a trap game majorly for the Lions. The Lions got them last time, um, and the Packers are going to want revenge. Not only are they going to want revenge against their divisional opponents, they're going to want to play spoilers. So if there's any one of these three games that the Lions lose, I do think it's that last one at the Packers. But if they win two out of three, their odds are very good, especially with these challenging schedules that these other teams that they're kind of in the contention with uh, have coming up. My my favorite thing to think about out of this whole situation, um, well, at least regarding the first round. So first round... My favorite scenario to think about is the Eagles being first-round bye. That's that's a beautiful thing, and I really hope that happens. And if they just get one more win, it will. Um, but also, if the Lions have a chance to sneak in, right, and the Vikings lock in that two-seed, the Vikings would host the Lions, okay? Imagine this. Imagine this. The Lions went out, sneak into the last playoff spot, go to Minnesota, I think they would beat the Vikings. I think they would beat the Vikings. They already did it handedly, made it look easy. It would be just like, it would just, it would just be gorgeous, beautiful if that happened. I, I think if the Lions eliminate the Vikings in the playoffs, that would be one of my favorite stories not just of this season, but of all time. A team that started off 1-6, sneaks in the last playoff spot, eliminates their division foes who are the two seed in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, it, it does sound too good to be true, and I'm obviously getting way ahead of myself, but it, it, it's just, it feels like you could almost touch it. Even though we're just, we, it's, it's miles away, you feel like you can almost touch it, like it's actually coming to fruition as like, this is actually a possibility. And if you look at it all on paper, it's like that matchup to me feels like it has a very good chance of happening in that first round of the playoffs. So 
Hang tight, everybody. Like, strap in. This could be so much fun. I love the last three weeks of the seasons when all these the season when all these games become like playoff games. It's crunch time. It's time to separate the boys from the men. Some of the boys have already been separated, like the Patriots and the Colts, way separated. Um, this is this is going to be exciting. This it's we're going to close out the season strong, and I'm just I'm super freaking pumped. Anyway, that is the recap of playoffs, if it ended today. Lots, lots, lots more can still happen. Uh, it'll, it'll be cool to see really what goes down. Uh, next segment, we are, we, me, I, um, I am going to talk sad girl hours. This is the first time ever that I have two sad girl hours. Um, and sad girl hours this week is the biggest blown lead of all time paired with the worst play of all time. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, you guessed it. The New England Patriots and the Indianapolis Colts are your sad girl hours for a week six of one of the boys. Um, I'll start with the Patriots. I'm not going to recap that absolutely fucking awful, terrible play that ended the game yesterday. It was the literal worst play I have ever seen. Um, And some are calling it the dumbest play in NFL history. Um, Belichick did not draw that up. He came out and said that. Um, And people are heavily blaming Jacoby Myers. He's definitely, obviously, to blame. However, I'm putting just as much blame on Ramondre Stevenson for starting all that badness. Like, if he just goes down, play over. Yeah, Jacoby threw the ball, but, like, he caught a lateral pass that he wasn't anticipating at all, and then it just, like, it just it just got out of hand from there. Um, literally the worst situational football ever. I, I, I don't even like the Patriots. Actually, for a very long time, have despised the New England Patriots and Boston sports, uh, but, like, wh- what, what was that? Like, what was that? Um, and... For me as a fan, it's it's great to see – it's funny to see um, a fan base that had so many glory years, right? They, I mean, they had – when Tom Brady and Bill Belichick were together in New England, they had those glory years where it was like you just expected to play in the Super Bowl every single year. And I hated it. I, as a fan, hated it. So many people hated it. And now they're just experiencing this utter collapse. They have this shithole of... He's not even technically their offensive coordinator, Matt Patricia. I think he's like the senior advisor or something. He's a defensive guy calling offensive plays. Mac Jones hates his guts. Hates his guts. And the offense looks disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. I actually kind of feel bad for Mac Jones because I feel like he's just thrown into this situation where, like, it's it's just setting him up for failure, and he's a young quarterback. Like, maybe maybe you could get away with some of this with, like, a veteran quarterback who can, you know, make plays or make something from nothing. Um, Mac Jones isn't it. He needs somebody like a, like a Kyle Shanahan or or – I mean, I know these guys are head coaches, not OCs, but he just needs somebody that's going to work with him and set him up for success. 
Matt Patricia ain't it. He will not have a job with the Patriots by the end of this year. Or if he does, it'll be on the flip side of the ball because that's where he belongs. That's where his wheelhouse. I don't know what Bill Belichick was thinking, if this was Bill Belichick's decision. Usually, if you're the head coach, it is. This has been when, – when I first heard that Matt Patricia was calling the plays, I was like, what, what, what drug – are they on and how do I get some? Because that just seemed completely outlandish to me. It is proven to be an absolute disaster for Mac Jones and that entire offense. And, and Mac Jones, not only has the season been a shithole for him on that play where Jacoby Myers threw like the ball to who knows where, when Chandler Jones caught it, he just stiff arms the shit out of Mac Jones. Like, just takes his grown-ass man hand, puts it in his chest, and, like, shoves him to the ground. Mac Jones did not stand a chance to tackle him. Like, it was almost like a metaphor of this season where it was, like, Matt Patricia throwing up the ball, and then the, just, like, the universe was Chandler Jones and just shoved Mac Jones to the ground did not give him a chance, set him up for absolute failure. It was a shame, but makes for great sad girl hours content, especially for me because I hate the New England Patriots. Um, first, absolutely wonderful content um, was the Impractical Jokers meme where if you guys haven't seen Impractical Jokers, they like fuck around with each other. One guy goes out in public with like an earpiece in. The other three guys have cameras on them and are in you know, some enclosed space not near where this guy is and, like, telling him to do stuff, like, stupid shit, like, oh, pick your nose, stick your hand in your butt, and then shake that woman's hand, just, like, stupid shit like that. And so this Impractical Jokers meme had the guy standing there with the microphone, and it said, like, okay, now start laddering the ball for no reason, and then in the center picture of this meme, it's Jacoby Myers throwing that ball, and then the bottom third of the meme is the guys, like, cracking up like they do when someone on the show does something absolutely ridiculous. It was just, it was beautiful. It was a great meme. It had me laughing. And then, of course, Twitter just had some, like, glorious content. So I'm just going to read you off some tweets that I saw about the New England Patriots or Patriots fans or whoever just, like, absolutely Great content for the for the Patriot hater in me. Um, so the first one was, congratulations to the New England Patriots on the single stupidest and worst loss in the history of the NFL. Um, that's not dramatic. That is very true. Uh, I, yeah, that's true. Um, the next tweet was a picture of, uh, it's it's called the, I get it, it's on the top, it says football circus. And it's literally just a photo of a bunch of clowns with um, the New England Patriots players' faces photoshopped on each of the clowns. Um, and the caption is 2022 New England Patriots. So that was that was a funny one. Here, here goes a guy that was like just on an absolute rampage about how bad the Patriots were. Um, so the tweet says, dumb penalties, bad in red zone, can't get plays in, special teams miscues, poorly coached, no weapons at wide receiver. D can't get off the field versus good teens. Unimaginative play of calling on offense. Boring to watch. Ladies and gentlemen, your 2022 New England Patriots. <laughs> oh, you hate to see it. This was a funny one, too. This was that classic Kermit, Kermit the Frog photo sitting next to a bottle of bleach. And it says New England Patriot fans right now. That's fair. Um... 
This was there was just so many. Like it, I didn't even have to search hard for these. I literally just typed into Twitter New England Patriots, and it was like holy shit. I was I was just having a field day. Here's another tweet. I'd like to congratulate congratulate. Oh my god, I do not have a speech impediment, even though I sound like I do. Congratulate. I'd like to congratulate the New England Patriots for some of the most impressive flames in which a season has ever gone down. Um, oh, it gets even better. This was a good one too. This had me actually laughing. Listening to sports radio in the Uber and the guy literally said, there have been two moments of shame in New England, the Salem witch trials and yesterday's Patriots game. (laughs) Yikes. Oh, they're comparing that awful ending to the Salem witch trials. That is how far South things have gone in New England. Um, so And then I feel like a play like this makes everything feel like it's a lot worse than it is. And like, when you look at the team, it's pretty bad, but like mathematically by no means are they out of it. If they win out, they'll get in. I don't think they'll get in though. And then this, the second fold to this sad girl hours is the uh, biggest meltdown of all time. This was absolutely the biggest meltdown of all time. I still, I still can't even believe it. Like I feel a little bit of secondhand embarrassment for um, Jeff Saturday. Um, and I also do have to say that I think Colts fans are actually feeling good that the Patriots play happened because it took some of the attention on the absolute fuck up that they had on Friday, uh, Saturday night. Um, it is a sad situation for, for Jeff Saturday. I felt like in the beginning of this game when they were up, by that monstrous amount that like, Hey, maybe Jeff Saturday's the guy. This is a game to prove it. looks like he's doing that so far. Um, but really ultimately what this has proven is that they have won one game since he came on board that first game against the Raiders haven't won since looked like they had this one and then just had the most epic choke meltdown downfall disaster of all time. So sad. Here's some funny Colts content. Um, A guy posted a picture of himself with a trash can, and it says, somehow managed to get a picture with the Indianapolis Colts offense. Facts times a thousand. That offense is trash. I said it earlier. I'll say it again. They're bad. Um, Here is another tweet. This was from Barstool Indy. Next steps for the Colts. Send Matt Ryan to an assisted living facility. Send Jeff Saturday back to ESPN. Send Chris Ballard and Guantanamo Bay for crimes against humanity. Um, and then, of course, old takes exposed always has good stuff, and I'm always looking for like takes that people had that went south. Um. And one of them was, remember when everyone slammed the Colts for hiring Jeff Saturday? That was when they were up 33 to nothing. And then it just all went really, really, really bad from there. Sad, sad times, dark days for the Colts, dark days for the Patriots. You hate to see it. Actually, the Colts, I feel a little bit bad for. Patriots, eh, not so much. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to close out with some fantasy studs and then send everybody on their Merry Christmas way. Um, I, let me first recap week 15. Um, 
So I do want to say I'm I'm not good at this. I still have a well actually I'm I'm better this week than I've ever been. I'm not good at this. Um and if you've learned anything from this pad- podcast, it is that I just just absolutely suck at this. So this is just I don't have like people go out there and post like all this gambling advice and stuff. Um, and they have like legit, like sign, not scientific statistical evidence to like support it. This is not what my fantasy stud segment is. This is literally just me being like, all right, uh, what feels right? What are the matchups? And like, that's it. Like I have no other reason other than that. So I'm not going to sit here and explain why I think, I mean, I'll explain some of them and why I, why my vibes, why my heart is humming to, to make those picks. But like, I'm not going to sit here and spit off a bunch of stats about how many, um, or what the target share was for, I don't know, Jalen Waddle three weeks ago. Like, uh, that's just not me. I'm just going to go off vibes. Um, and if you want that actual evidence, there are podcasts out there. That will tell you that stuff, but this isn't it. This is more, honestly, like at this point, this segment is so bad um, that it's one, for your entertainment purposes, just to hear how stupid I sound, and two, uh, just for me to see if I can like actually do this and and like get something right. Um, anyway, quarterback predictions for week 15, I had predicted um, Holmes, Burrow, Cousins, and I got two out of three right. Um, Kirk Cousins was, was number one. Josh Allen was number two and Patrick Mahomes was three. So we got two out of the three right there. Running back predictions. I had predicted JK Dobbins, uh, Jonathan Taylor and Austin Eckler. Uh, didn't get any of those. It was Jarek McKinnon. Who's that's, I think that's the second week in a row. He's been in the top three and I've played against him once and I play against him this week. So hopefully like he's hot, you know, he's been hot these last two weeks. Um, and it'll catch up to him this week. But anyway, Derek Henry and Christian McCaffrey. Um, wide receiver prediction. So I had said Justin Jefferson, Gabe Davis. That was a little bit of wishful thinking. But really, this has been the Gabe Davis underwhelming season where everyone thought he would come out and just be this sell- stellar superstar on the opposite side of Stephon Diggs, but he just hasn't. Anyway, and then Jamar Chase was the third one that I had picked. The actual top three wide receivers, just like everyone predicted, <laughs> um, was Zay Jones, KJ Osborne, and Justin Jefferson. So that was another one that I had gotten right. Um, tight end, I had said Travis Kelsey, Tyler Conklin, TJ Hawkinson. Um, and tight end actual was Travis Kelsey. He was number one, George Kittle, and Juwan Johnson. Juwan Johnson was actually a receiver in college. He had played at Penn State for a year or two, maybe, and then transferred to Oregon. Um, now he's a tight end, and he's killing it for the Saints, so good for him. Um, defense special teams, I had to get said Kansas City, Eagles, and Niners. Um, all of my picks against – all my defensive picks against Houston um, over the last two weeks have not happened. I think I think Houston is, like, toying with us a little bit. Um, and like behind the scenes laughing at like, oh, these, look at these guys. They all thought X, Y, Z was going to happen and that we weren't a good team and blah, blah, blah. And they're like secretly laughing at all of us. 
Um, sorry, I definitely got off track there. The actual defense special team top three was Indianapolis versus Minnesota. That does seem a little bit crazy because they gave up 39 points, but they did have two touchdowns. They had that pick six and then the blocked punt for return for a touchdown. Um, the Giants versus Washington and then Cleveland versus Baltimore. Um, so I did get five total right this week. Um, no, I can't do math. I only got four right this week. But still, that is the most I've ever gotten. So I'm, I'm getting hot. Don't look back now. I'm getting hot. If you've ever listened to me before, now's the time. Okay? Um, my predictions for week 16. This also isn't like start sit advice. None of these guys that I'm talking about, you would ever even like consider benching no matter who they're playing. I think I just like to know, like, I just like, I just like to predict and make an entertainingly awful segment for everybody. Um, all right, predictions for week 16. Oh, also, I did want to include that those that I just talked about did not include Monday Night Football with the Rams and the Packers. Um, but I don't think there's anybody in there that would crack any of the top three. So, whatever. Um, Okay, predictions week 16. Quarterback, I have Jared Goff versus Carolina. Tua versus Green Bay. Oh, shit. I I I did this earlier before the Jalen Hurts news came out, and I had Jalen Hurts versus Dallas. Fuck. Now I got to think of a new one. All right, I'll give you guys a a third quarterback. Well, first off, Jalen isn't ruled out completely for this weekend, so there is a chance that he plays. I think if he plays, he... Um, he does uh, put up good numbers against Dallas, but let me think of a third quarterback and I'll come back to that. Um, running backs for week 16, I have Derrick Henry versus Houston. Uh, running backs have, have last couple weeks have put up some phenomenal numbers um, against the Texans. Uh, I don't see why this week would be any different. Saquon Barkley versus Minnesota. I think that's going to be a high-flying offensive game. Um, and then Kistrin. Christian McCaffrey versus the Washington Commanders. Um, wide receivers, I've got Tyreek Hill. They're playing Green Bay. Uh, Stefan Diggs versus Chicago. I think him and Josh Allen just have just both have big games this weekend. Uh, really trying to get closer and closer to locking in that one seed. <clears throat> and then Devontae Smith, again, that's a tough one if Jalen doesn't play. Uh, I'm, I'm still going with it. I think, you know, regardless of if Jalen or Minshew plays, uh, Devontae Smith, is, he's just – he's making some great, 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 great catches. Um, all right, tight end, Travis Kelsey, uh, George Kittle. Kittle, he's been so up and down this season, but now that they don't have Debo, Kittle is like their guy. Um, they're either handing it off to McCaffrey, throwing it to McCaffrey, throwing it to Kittle or throwing it to one of their other options. Um, so I think Kittle's the guy there. Um, and then Taysom Hill, he's so much fun to watch. I know he had a big week this week. Uh, I think he does even more next week. Um, and then defense, special teams. Um, so the Bengals playing the Patriots. I've talked so much shit on the Patriots offense this podcast that this should be pretty self-explanatory. Believe it or not, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually have the Detroit defense versus Carolina. Both teams have a lot to play for, but I just think Detroit, they're dogs. They have 
way more heart than this Carolina Panthers team does and look like they they're on a mission. Um, so I could see them just just completely uh, slipping Carolina up on its head. Um, and then the Niners versus Washington. I think this is ultimately the the downfall of the Washington Commanders this season. It was a good run. It was fun while it lasted, but it ends here. Um, and yeah, that closes out fantasy studs and that closes out my show. Sorry, this one was so long today. I just, sometimes I just get going on a roll and there's so much I want to share with the world that I so frequently just keep trapped up in my head that I I, I had to share it with y'all today. Um, to everybody listening, happy second night of Hanukkah, maybe third night. If you're listening tomorrow, tonight is, I'm recording this on Monday. It is the second night of Hanukkah. Tomorrow is the third. So whatever, just, just happy Hanukkah. Hope you're getting to spend some time with family. Christmas is on Sunday. Merry Christmas to all who celebrate. I do have to be honest, I'm traveling next week uh, for the holiday. Like I said, me and my dad are going to the Eagles game on on New Year's Day, so I'm going to be doing some traveling. I'm hoping to put some content out for for y'all next week. Can't guarantee anything, um, but hopefully I'll be able to to do that for all of my diehard listeners out there. Not that I have that many of those, but I know there's some. Um, But there may not be. If not, I'll just come back with all the more content um, coming out the week after that. So thank you all for listening today. Again, I'm Coley Rudd. I'm here with Harper. She is my dog. This is one of the boys. Have a safe and happy holiday, everybody. Enjoy good food, good drinks, good time with family. And hopefully I'll be back next week. Have a good one, everyone.